This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 7 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is Part 6, the final part in our series on Harv Bennett, where we're looking at uh, his work as a television creator. And we've gone through all the shows that we can go through, and now we're going to recap his career as a television creator. His illustrious career as a television creator. Yes, yes. You could say that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's weird. It's, it's kind of unfair to say that because it's like he, he created television shows, and but he did so much more than, than all that, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's, I don't know if he won Emmys, but he was at least nominated for Emmys for doing television movies and miniseries, not to mention the stuff that he had done uh as like a producer not just a creator and um yeah then there's his his movie work in star trek so so there you go but we're just looking at his tv shows yeah and as far as those are concerned the first one came in 1968 paralleling with season three of uh star trek the original series and that was the mod squad which aired for five years from 1968 to 1973, um, 123 episodes total. And, um, yeah, John, can you give us, like, kind of a, a synopsis of what the Mod Squad was? Yeah, three ne'er-do-wells uh, are taken in by the cops to be a, uh, a sort of a, a fifth-column force to go out to where the hip kids that don't want to interact with cops are and uh, become like them, become one of them, or three of them, as the case may be, and uh, figure out what's making the crimes happen. And maybe along the way, help those kids learn something about life and themselves and how to make a better world. Yeah, um, it was kind of a, a, a hip cop show on the surface, but beneath the surface, it was a, a pretty cool uh, show about um, contemporary America. Yeah. And... Um, an interesting social commentary about a changing world. Uh, so what did you think about the show? Oh, it's a good show. You know, I mean, it's um, there's a good reason why it's remembered fondly and well. And, I, I you know, it, it's worth going back and seeing. I mean, I, I know that when we talked about the show, um, one of the episodes that I watched, uh, like it, it recaps with Clarence Williams talking to a girl about, you know, he's reaching out to her, telling her, you know, not to give up hope, to keep working at it. And, you know, he's crying while he's giving the speech and then he goes out and he laughs and they're like, what are you laughing about? And he basically says that he's reached out to her the way that he wished somebody had reached out to him because his character had a background that tied into the, the Watts riots and everything. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, wor- it's worth looking at. I mean, it, it really is because, it, uh, you know, Star Trek is known for looking at uh, social issues and putting them in a uh, you know sci-fi context, and Mod Squad had, you know, I, I mean they they put things in the real world context and look you know looked at some of those important issues, uh, you know, in in the believable light. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree that this was was a good show. This is the one that kind of snuck up on me out of all of them. I wasn't, I don't know. I guess maybe based on. Um, you know, the stuff that I had heard about it and everything, I was kind of uh, not really expecting to get a lot out of this show. And um, it definitely had the most to offer out of the four that that, that we watched. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it was cool because, I don't know, I, I really sort of respond to, to stuff like this. or I mean, Star Trek does it, but... I guess it's it's so well known that Star Trek does that, like that's a right. Star Trek's thing. But you know, the idea of presenting something as sort of like light entertainment and um, finding when you watch it that it's actually like really sort of deep and um, really sort of an important piece of of work for um, you know people to see. I guess um, you know, and I mean. 
that can be done in different ways. And, and I think that, that this is, you know, it's being true to itself and that it is a cop show and you can enjoy it um, as just your standard cop show with with kind of a, a, a young, hip edge to it. But there is a lot more going on in, yeah. in, the, in the show and uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it definitely is, and I, I want to say that something that I, uh, I I think I realized at the time but didn't mention before is uh, the the actress in it, Peggy Lipton. Mm-hmm. Uh, she it was she later went on to be in one of my all time favorite television shows, uh, Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. I, I haven't seen Twin Peaks, so yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll have to find a, some way for there to be a Star Trek creator tied. Did David Lynch do anything with Star Trek or something? Not that I'm aware of. Nuts. I think we would know about that one. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, yeah, it's, 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 it's possible. You never know. There's got to be some connection in there. Yeah, you know, it's Twin Peaks. It's one of those things. I've always thought, yeah, I should watch it, but I never have. It's on Netflix, right? I don't know. Are you sure? Because this is, that was one of the few ones I, where I actually I bought the Blu-ray collector's edition set. And, yeah. You know, they kind of overcorrected some of the filters. But, you know, anyway, Peggy Lipton was in Mod Squad, and she's tied to Twin Peaks, therefore... That's yet another reason to love Mod Squad. Oh, Peggy Lipton is also noteworthy in that she's uh, Rashida Jones's mom. Oh, that's right. So. She was married to uh, Quincy Jones, wasn't she? Yeah. 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 That's, so that's cool. That is. That's pretty. Yeah. Wow. It's weird how sort of like the lines of sort of like celebrity royalty work sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. But yeah. But yeah. So so definitely check out Mod Squad. I think we're in agreement on that one, right? Absolutely. All right. So that lasted five years, was definitely the most successful of the shows that he uh, created or co-created. And a couple years after that, his next show uh, aired, and that was The Invisible Man. Now, this show, not nearly as successful, only lasted uh, 13 episodes, one season. And it was sort of a retelling of the classic story by wells not ellison uh the i'd say the pilot episode was a classic was a retelling of the classic uh the rest of the series was not (laughs) well they were taking it and building on the mythology they were building something (laughs) so so do you want to sort of tell people what what was going on in this thing uh yeah a guy um to protect his uh, brilliant invention of able to turn things invisible uh, from the military that has funded his experiments on how to do something, um, turns himself invisible and then blows up his machine, not realizing that he was going to become permanently invisible because everything else went sort of temporary. And invi- Anyway, long story short, he finds out that he's permanently invisible, finds a guy that can make him a latex mask so that we can see the actor um, and every so often. And then, uh, you know, by the end of the pilot episode, you know, he's figured out, uh, you know, that he's going to keep working toward becoming visible again. And then from episode two forward, it becomes something different, something weird. Yeah, basically, he decides that he's going to um, solve mysteries and fight crime on the side. Naked. Naked, usually (laughs) naked. Yes. While <laughs> while simultaneously uh looking for a cure for his um invisibility which it would be interesting, you know, once they got to the the seasons where he regained his visibility <laughs> would he have gotten so comfortable with his nakedness? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that could be that could be tricky for network television. They never tackled Especially, what what happens with a an invisible person uh you know, during like a really hot, humid summer, either that was territory that could have been uh, really explored. I think. Well, I think we would know. I mean, well, I mean, because if you think about it, like in terms of like his sweat and stuff like that, yeah. Because like they do, they do talk about how, like, when something leaves his body, it becomes visible, right? Which is so like <laughs> like when he cut when he cuts himself, yeah. You can see the blood. So if you were to be sweating, you would be able to see the sweat dripping down. Yeah. 
I guess you would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, something that they do in um, Ho- Hollow Man. Oh, Have really? Hollow Man? No, I didn't. No? No. Uh, uh, yeah. You're usually post-RoboCop. All right, fine. <laughs> he had me till Total Recall, but if you put Paul Verhoeven's name on things uh, after a certain point, uh, you know what? No, they suckered me into Starship Troopers, too. But yeah, mm-hmm. Paul, Paul Verhoeven was sort of like uh, John Repellent at the movies for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hollow Man's not bad. Apparently, it was also based on you know the Invisible Man, but they couldn't say it because of uh, copyright stuff. So, so instead whatever. they based it on the man who was invisible, which is so. a similar yet you know sort of like Nosferatu. It's not yes. quite Dracula, right? Exactly. It was exactly like that. But you know, it's 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 not it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. Yeah. I would recommend it. I imagine that it's better than the Invisible Man, the TV series, because that was pretty awful. <laughs> it is definitely better than the Invisible Man, the TV series. I mean, were were you? Did you think that the Invisible Man, the TV series, was a lost cause from the very beginning, or was it only after the pilot that you saw the writing on the wall the uh, invi- with the, with the invisible pen? <laughs> yeah, that pantomime pen. That just. <laughs> That annoyed me. Uh, I, you know, I would say that uh, in the f- in the pilot, there there was like a glimmer of hope. You were like, okay, maybe they can do something with this. This isn't great, but pilots aren't always fantastic. But no, from the second episode forward, it was just a train wreck. I I honestly think it's just it's a misstep. I you know I think you mentioned on the on the DVD packaging or whatever uh, like. People, you know, consider this a, you know, a show that is a must for collectors and fans of the star and stuff like that. And I don't, you know, that that would be like, um, you know, me saying that six days, seven nights is a must have for uh, for Harrison Ford fans. You know, yes. no, not really. You know? Yeah. Ever since then, I, I see David McCallum popping up everywhere, you know. Some guy on Twitter was live tweeting an episode of Man from Uncle and everything like that. And he was talking about David McCallum. Now I can't get away from that guy. <laughs> now he's anything but invisible to you. That's the irony <laughs> of everything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, my feelings on the invisible man are not nearly as strong as yours. While I didn't like uh, the pilot or the, the episodes that I watched. I didn't um, think that they were the worst thing ever either, you know, especially the the pilot. You know, I mean, it had like a a story which seemed legit and the tone seemed appropriate. And it wasn't until later episodes where it was kind of like, why are you all of a sudden becoming like a cartoon? But, (laughs) you know, whatever. It's it's a perhaps a missed opportunity, perhaps uh, with some further revision or maybe a couple seasons under its belt, it could have become something that was decent. But on the whole, I would say it's it's pretty bad. It's skippable. Mm-hmm. So that was the last television show, for all practical purposes, that Bennett had a hand in creating um, for nearly 20 years, and in that time is when he did the stuff that we know and love him for, which is uh, Star Trek's 2 through 5. Obviously, you know, Wrath of Khan was great, and he was sort of the um, architect of that movie in the sense that he sort of put all of the pieces in place to make it work you know he found all of the the people who he needed to get he found the stories that he needed to get and you know he had a hand in writing it and everything and he really was sort of like doing what a creative producer does which is assembling a team and allowing them to do their best work so that we could get you know the best that star trek has to offer um that of course, was followed up by Star Trek Three, which he took sort of an even bigger hand in in uh, creating, having written the script himself, and Star Trek Four, which he co-wrote, and Star Trek Five, you know, which he 
I guess, co-wrote the story for. Just about everybody and, co-wrote the story for Star Trek V, though. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they pretty much took it down the hall, and like if the janitor had an idea, they were like, yeah, you want a name on a script? And, yes. that, and keep in mind, that's speaking as a Star Trek V defender. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he tried to do Star Trek VI, and that didn't work out too well. So with the Star Trek franchise, you know, having kind of, I don't know, shunned him in a sense, Harv Bennett returned to television to create another science fiction show, kind of in the model of Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, a, a syndicated series. Uh, right around the same time, I mean, it was it started up, I mean, the parallels are kind of weird, you know, where Mod Squad started up the last season of original series. This new series started up the the last season of The Next Generation, and that series was Time Tracks. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time Tracks it started in 1993, lasted two seasons, 44 episodes. Um, you want to give a synopsis of, of Time Tracks? The Poor Man's Quantum Leap. Yeah, that's a good synopsis with some Terminator thrown in for good measure. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, basically. Yeah, guy travels through time 200 years into the past to chase an evil scientist who figured out time travel and send people back to the future um, so that they're not in the past anymore. Right. So it's basically your typical cop show where you're um, trying to catch criminals on a weekly basis, but you're trying to catch future criminals in 1993. But so. not not criminals that haven't committed their crimes yet. They've committed their crimes in the future, and yes. then gone back to the past to bi- diabolically commit more crimes in the past. Right. So yes, I mean you're right in that it is a poor man's quantum leap. It really feels like they stole a lot of stuff from Quantum Leap, although none of the good stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are your Touché. thoughts on <laughs> what are your thoughts on time tracks? that I had a better time watching Quantum Leap. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it's bad. It is. Mm-hmm. It's just um, whatever redeeming qualities of the concept there might be, it's it's just not a good show. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it, there's, there's kind of that nostalgia thing going on and that I remember this show. And I always thought it was a show that I might like had I given it a chance. But I never gave it a chance when I was 13. And now giving it a chance when I'm 35, I um, don't think it really deserves to be given a chance. Um, so, <laughs> so, so if you were given the chance to travel back in time and talk to your 13-year-old self, you would tell him, good choice, still yeah. don't watch the show. Yeah, stay the course. You know? <laughs> well, that's good to know. You're like the first person in history now that has something where you can say, you know what, that is a point where I would go back and I would counsel myself to do that exact thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, not a big fan of time tracks. I mean, I could see how it could work. I could see how there could be individual episodes which might be worth watching, but on the whole, it's a stupid premise and a stupid show. The premise is okay. You know, I don't know. It's not it has a bad some kinks idea. That it, it has some kinks that need ironing, you know? Yeah, but it's still, I, I don't know, at its core, it's still an okay concept. You know, good concept. You know, it's, it's something where if somebody came up to me and said, there's a show about a guy who has to travel back in time to capture these cr- fugitives who were hiding in the past, I'd be like, wow, you watched Jean-Claude Van Damme when I did, too. Um, that's wonderful, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an okay, you know, it's a good concept. It's actually, wow. Yeah, it is exactly time cop, isn't it? Yeah. I've never seen time cop. Didn't time cop have a show too? Uh, yeah, but that came after the movie, Mm. man, I have to figure out the timeline of this because it's possible that Harv Bennett should have just sued, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Because time, no. cop w- time Cop was, although he could come back to the future, because that's, that was the important catch with uh, Time Tracks, was you could only take one round trip. Um, otherwise, you would like go insane and become disfigured or something like that. And there was only one guy that ever survived it, and that was like the main Nazi German dude um, in the show. 
it, right? Well, yeah, because you, you could only do one one round trip. Whereas in Time Cop, you could he could do as many time trips time uh, round trips as he as he needed to. Okay, Time Cop came out the year after Time Tracks. However, it was based on a comic book. However, it did co-star Mia Sarah, who was also oh, in the pilot for right. Time Tracks. However, I think that the comic book existed before. See, now I need to go watch Time Cop because I didn't realize that... Um, it, well, I knew it was based on a comic book. I didn't realize that that comic book was written by Mark Verheiden. But yeah. I also I, I also didn't realize that he did personally write the script for the movie. So it's got to be one of the truest comic book adaptations out there. And also it's written by Mark Verheiden, who, I mean... He's written what I consider to be the best single hour in television history, which is uh, Crossroads Part 2. Ah, yes. From Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Uh, you know, the Time Cop is definitely something where the concept was fantastic. And in a way, it was unfortunate that it was a Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle. Uh, yeah. Because they actually had, because Ron Silver was the bad guy in that, and he was brilliantly good. And they actually had this really, spoiler alert, really cool thing where Ron Silver from the future came into the past when the past Ron Silver got like kicked in the face or something, and you actually saw the scar form on future Ron Silver's face when it happened, and that was that's kinda not cool. a cool thing. That's 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 a kind stupid. of a cool. I, thing. It's I not stupid. It's cool. Hate, I hate that crap. Have you seen Looper? No, I have not. All. I, I understand Looper is supposed to be really, really good. Yes, I understand that it's supposed to be really, really good, too. However, having seen it... <laughs> look, here's the thing. Looper is, is completely okay. And, you know, I, I blame Max, in a sense, for sort of tainting me when it comes to uh, um, time travel movies okay. and shows. Where, you know, normally I could forgive it. But, like, when he, you know breaks down back to the future and completely, you know, destroys the the logic of the time travel in that where I'm like, what what? No, come on. This was a perfect movie. Why are you ruining this movie for me? You know, then I go watch something like Looper where the time travel does not work in the slightest and I'm just like this I can't get over this. No, I can't see, get I, over that... how Okay, first and foremost, first and foremost, it's ridiculous yeah. that that I, I mean, I, I have these arguments, too, about, like, how time travel would work. Okay, here, here's a tip. It doesn't, it won't, and it never will. I'm, you, you, I, you know what? I am all enterpri- I'm all Enterprise Series Vulcans about this. Time travel doesn't work. It doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. I don't care how many times you slingshot around the sun. You are never going back in time, period, end of sentence. I don't care if you invent a drug, if you shoot somebody with a beam, if you do it by you know having uh, somebody touch your temples and you go back and you're suddenly super sexy Logan from 1976. Not going to happen. But I mean, like you know, you have Stephen Hawking saying that it could theoretically work, right? So uh, yeah, you know, I could come up with anything to quote unquote theoretically explain how uh, physics can explain that there that I have to concede the possibility that while I'm sitting here talking to you, you will spontaneously, for absolutely no conceivable reason except the fact that the universe needs to balance out a math equation, that you will suddenly spontaneously disappear and reappear above the orbit of Pluto mm-hmm. for no for mm-hmm. no other reason. And it has to happen because it, it needs to balance out the math equation that makes the universe work or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can come up with any theory for anything if you say, like, I, I it's not to sit there I and look, debate how time travel works is just silly. But I mean, you could, you can sort of at least take into account some, you know, scientific theories and stuff like that, and at least make it so that logically it works in some sense. Well, yeah, there should be a logical structure to things. I I mean, at the very least, especially while you're telling a story, there needs to be some sort of story consistency or, you know, logical thread that ties things together so that it works, yeah. And some, some movies have that, some movies don't. Some movies play with it. And 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 are able to get away with it working for dramatic effect, even though when someone like Max comes in 
and uh, you know sort of breaks it down point by point, you realize that Back to the Future doesn't make any sense. Okay, so there's that, right? But and there's movies like you know, like I've asked Max, I'm like, what are some time travel movies? Like, what is the most realistic time travel movie? What's an example of one where it actually makes sense? And he's like, well, Twelve Monkeys. And 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 he's also said that All Good Things has one mistake in it, but otherwise it's damn near perfect. Um, but Looper, okay. I mean, I watched I, and and it was it was the type of thing where I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like. Max would hate this movie so much, even though everyone is saying this is the best thing ever. And I couldn't wait for him to see it. And he's like, I'm not seeing that. I can tell from the trip. I'm not seeing that. I think he finally did see it and he hated it. The time travel does not work in the slightest. So then you're left with, okay, is this a a story worthy of, you know, dealing with the time travel not working? And the end result is mm, not really, you know? It's okay. It's an okay movie. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, and I've been meaning to rewatch it. You know, I've got it sitting right here, waiting to be rewatched. But it's it's it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. I, you know what? I look forward to seeing it. You're not allowed to say that it doesn't work anymore because that makes all of us nervous about episode eight if you say it doesn't work. I know. See, like to me, like I'm like whatever. Looper sucked, but I I still haven't seen Brick, which everyone says is amazing. Yeah, and I haven't. Uh, Brick was. No, Brick was okay. well. Brick was well shot. Okay, all right. I didn't finish well, it. I will say I have to go back and try again. I didn't finish it. I might have just been very tired that day. Okay, I do want to do a thing. I've been I've been talking about this. I want to do a thing where I spend a day or whatever and do like a marathon of all the first films directed by Star Wars directors. Sold. I I think that would make for a really interesting, you know, retrospective. I'm, I'm game. I'm game. Name the time yeah. and the place. Yeah. But I'm also, I haven't seen the end of Breaking Bad, and I hear that he directed an episode which may uh, be even better than Crossroads. Yeah. He he directed uh, Ozymandias, which yeah. is, yeah, the climax episode of the entire series. The um, second to the last episode, right? Uh, I think it's third. I think there are two episodes after it. Okay. But, okay, yeah. yeah, it's really it's really where everything happens and then they have two sort of like uh denouement episodes where things just sort of play out from that point forward but it's yeah yeah it's 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 a pretty fantastic uh, so television you know episode. i mean i'm 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 hoping i'm hoping God, yeah that's what's gonna what are we you. doing talking about star wars on this uh star well i think that podcast. i think that that in and of itself uh, should be a testament to uh invisible man and time tracks <laughs> Uh, that we yes. found a way to talk about anything but them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, time tracks, looper. I don't know. I forget how it all ties. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> time tracks, not good. But a couple of years later, four years later, 30 years after his first show, Harv Bennett made his last show. And that show was Invasion America. Now, this was an animated series. It only lasted 13 episodes. And, uh, yeah, it was about a guy who, it turns out, is the um, son of an alien who was, like, the leader of this alien race who uh, was trying to not take over the Earth despite everyone else in his uh, in his race trying to take over the Earth. So now he's caught up in an intergalactic civil war, the kid, um, you know, without even knowing that he was an alien until yesterday, yeah. right? Yes. Kind of an interesting idea. Um, what were your thoughts on the, on the show? Eh, uh, it's... Uh, I, I said this when we talked about it. It's um, it's something to have on in the background. Uh, I think you nailed it where uh, you said where it's it's basically a bunch of uh, action and bluster and five minutes of you know dialogue and plot that you really have to pay attention to in each episode. So it's it's very light um, and uh, you, the, the concept is decent, but it's just the the execution is a little flat, I guess. But I still I still say that it's worth since you can go and catch it on YouTube. Just go ahead and uh, and watch it. It's a you know it's a quick watch and it's not 
it's not terrible. You know, it's it's passable. Right. It's it's not bad. It, it is formulaic. It is cliche, but um, it's also fun and interesting um, conceptually and everything like that. And it would have been cool to see where they took it. Um, yeah. And a lot, a lot of other Star Trek connections, you know, I mean, like we talked last week about Michael Reeves being one of the writers and he had written Where No One Has Gone Before, but also a lot of really cool animation from this time period, like Batman the Animated Series and Gargoyles. So, yeah, check it out, even though it's probably not going to blow you away. Yeah, probably not. Definitely, definitely Bennett's second best show. I think if we were to... Uh, to rank these, we would probably put them in the same order, right? I, I have I have a strong feeling we would, so long as Invisible Man is given a special extra notch <laughs> down on the list. <laughs> so we, we would say Mod Squad, Definitely. Invasion America, yes. Time Tracks, mm-hmm. and then Invisible Man. And then Invisible Man again after that, <laughs> just to make sure that it's in the lowest possible spot. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. So, um, yeah, so that's it. That's it for, for Bennett, you know. Um, we talked about some of the other stuff that he did, like Star Trek and, uh, you know, Bionic Man and, um, or I'm sorry, Six Million Dollar Man yeah, and million. Bionic Woman. Um, are are you fa- you're a fan of those, too? Of course. How could you not be? Yeah, well, if you haven't seen them. Oh, well, okay, that's a fair point. So go watch them and then be a fan of them. Okay, all right, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that that's Harv Bennett. Um, any any final thoughts on him or his career? You know, uh, yeah, he contributed a lot to Star Trek, and that's why we know him and love him, or that's how we came to know and love him. And regardless of whether the shows were, uh, you know, hitting it out of the park or failures, he he had a creative streak and he kept it going through his whole life. He did, you know, he never gave up. There was, you know, I think that that's probably the best lesson you can learn from somebody who has a long career like Harv Bennett is even after something doesn't work, he doesn't stop. He doesn't say, oh, well, I've had two bad shows and I'm just I just give up. No, he keep he picks himself up and he keeps moving and he keeps the creative juices flowing and he keeps working at it. And I think that that's that's a really cool thing. That's why people like him are fun to watch their careers, because they will just keep trying, at, regardless of whether it works or not. Yeah, and I mean, like we said uh, before, he's someone who will adapt. You know, yeah. he doesn't. He he learns from his mistakes. When he does make a show that doesn't work, he doesn't uh, just say like, oh, "Okay, you know, let me try that again." Well, he did that once, I guess, with the Invisible Man. But for the most part, you know, <laughs> he doesn't do that. He says, "Okay, let's." you know, try something animated. Let's try something syndicated. Let's try movies. Let's try TV movies. You know, any of these things. And, you know, um, it's it's pretty cool because, you know, in, in the end, what you get is a lot of variation. And some of it works, some of it doesn't. I mean, we didn't even talk about half of it, you know, not anywhere close to, to half of, of the stuff that he did. Yeah, And uh, he, you know in one way or another, excelled at, at all of it, which is really cool. And, you know, even if he had done nothing else in his career, he was one of the people who probably, when it needed it the most, resurrected Star Trek. Yeah. If Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan isn't as good as it is, who knows what Star Trek would be today. And, you know? and additionally... I, I think that his experience as a TV producer put him uniquely in place to be the head of a franchise. Absolutely. Keep a franchise going. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks to Harv Bennett, and uh, he will be missed. He will. So switching gears for a minute here. Um, this weekend was the Star Trek convention in Chicago. Yeah. And you know, I went. It was um, it, it was fun. Okay, who did you see? Did you take any pictures? Did you get any autographs? I did not get any autographs. I refused to pay anyone to <laughs> sign something for me, um, and I did not take any pictures. 
I, I did have a picture taken of me by by our, our friend John Tenuto um, oh. as I was asking Colin a question. Yeah. I was asking Colin about the uh, Star Trek IMAX movie that was being um, planned for the ni- during the 90s oh. and ultimately fell through because the word on the street is that Meany was supposed to star in it. And I was like, uh, can you tell us what this was? And he's like, I don't remember that. I must have been on a different street. <laughs> so so, so that was kind of disappointing, whatever. Um, and, you know, I mean, creation conventions are always um, a thing to behold <laughs> for one reason or another. And, uh, you know, but, but there was some cool stuff. Like John Tenuto, you know, who's been on the show numerous times, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was there and he was giving a presentation on uh, uh, Enterprise collectibles, oh. which was kind of cool. And he had, like, a lot of pictures that Doug Drexler gave him. And, like, he showed a lot of stuff and gave a lot of history uh, to about the um, the refit NX-01 to make it sort of, like, look more like the, um, you know, original series Enterprise, which was kind of cool, yeah. and all that stuff. Um, and some, some interesting little facts in there about, like, how the... The, the phasers that they made for the toys, yeah. the toy phasers for, for um, Enterprise were so well made that basically they used them as props for the rest of the series, you know, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. That is really, really cool. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, little things like that were, were awesome. Um, and, you know, I got to see uh, the, the, two, the two Deep Space Nine people who I had not seen uh, yet in person, which was uh, Nicole DeBoer and um, Colin Meany. So that was cool. And Linda Park was there and Denise Crosby. So we saw them. Uh, okay. Connor Trenier, you know. So, so they had a, a number of people in there that was fun and entertaining. Um, but the person who surprisingly, I have to say, kind of stole the show for me, aside from John, was uh, George Takei. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he was there. And he's he's always great, you know. And he he talked about, you know, he started his thing by talking about the people, you know, from the Star Trek family that we've lost over the past year. And he, you know, mentioned, you know, obviously Leonard Nimoy and Grace Lee Whitney and... Um, uh, one of the things that I, I really appreciated was he also, you know, mentioned Harv Bennett and talked uh, about how how big of a role he had in in the history of Star Trek and all all that stuff. But he also told a story about a, a movie that he did. Uh, I mean, we're talking about you know work by a Star Trek creator outside of Star Trek. This is one that I had never heard of. Um, let me preface this story by saying that it's, um, somewhere around, uh, PG-13. Okay. Okay, for our, our maybe slightly more sensitive listeners, but whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, so I had seen this. I had seen in the dealer's room there was a guy who had a poster, a movie poster for a movie called The Young Divorcees, which starred George Takei. Okay. And it was signed by George Takei. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I've never heard of that movie. I don't know what that movie is. Who cares? So apparently someone else in the audience saw that poster because they were like, hey, I saw this poster. And I was just wondering if you could tell us what the deal was with that because I've never heard of that movie before. And he's like, I was in that movie. And there is a story behind it. And he's like, okay. So it was like the 60s right around the time of, like, Easy Rider, right? Okay. And that was, like, the thing. Easy Rider was an extremely low-budget movie which made a ton of money. You know, it was done on the cheap. It was a little character story about, you know, a bunch of hippies. And because it made so much money, it became the thing, you know, obviously. That was the, the thing. And everyone all of a sudden was like, I can do that. And there was a guy, a director, who um, had a story about, you know, some hippies, and there were like three three of them, and it was a movie called A Bicycle Built for Three. And, you know, George Takei was one of the three people in this movie, and he played basically like a character who was, I, I think they said he uh, grew up in the internment camps during, you know, World War II, just like Takei did himself. Mm-hmm. And basically he was a Japanese-American kid 
whose uh, parents who were from Japan basically raised him as an American and completely disregarded their their Japanese heritage and he sort of resented that and was rebelling and you know there were two other characters and it was just sort of this sort of you know nice little indie indie uh, character story he said it was really great and unfortunately in the time between you know when the movie was made and when it was supposed to come out the market for those types of movies just collapsed and the guy who made the movie had like taken out a second mortgage on his house and blah, 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 blah. And basically he was broke and he sold the movie to some distributor somewhere and, um, lost uh, basically all of his money and the movie never came out. And that was it. That was as far as the, that was the end of the story. As far as Takei was concerned until about 10 years later, He's at a convention, and he's signing autographs, and a guy comes up to him, and he's like, hey, man, I saw your movie. <laughs> and Takei's like, what movie? And he's like, you, you, you know the movie, uh, The Young Divorcees. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it was great. He's like, <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm going to say Spock. That's not what Takei said, but it rhymed with Spock. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> and Takei is like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I saw this movie and blah, 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 blah. And he starts describing the plot and Takei is listening to this and he recognizes it as the plot of A Bicycle Built for Three. Yeah. Turns out what happened is the distributor, whoever it was that bought this movie, took it and then hired a bunch of body doubles oh, no. and turned it into a porno movie. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh, no. And released it. And it exists. It has like 15 names. Uh, On IMDb, it's listed as Josie's Castle. Uh, You can get it on Amazon as part of a set called Skin in the 70s, where it's listed as uh, Teenage Divorce. Um, But it exists. Wow. It's out there. So if you want to get some outside of the box, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Star Trek uh, movies, check out uh, the, well, I don't know what you would call it, The Young Divorcees, Uh, Bicycle Build for Three. I'm amazed nobody has uh, taken this and done like a fan edit where they cut out all of that stuff and just turned it back (laughs) into the movie that it, it was supposed to be. I wonder if you could. You probably could, right? I mean, I, I issue the challenge to anybody listening. Knock yeah. yourself out. So long. Keep in mind what you'll have to be watching and know where to cut. Yep, yep. But <laughs> so there you go. You learn something new every day. You know, you learn something new every Star Trek convention. And you know, I was looking for information about the Star Trek IMAX movies, but I found information about a bicycle build for three. So you know, I consider that a, a win or at least a, a tie. Yeah, so. I, I I would say yes. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, it's been fun talking about Harve Bennett and George Takei's careers. Uh, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at some of the stuff you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. So I just stopped, watched it, and just cried like a child it was such an an emotional impact i i was wrecked earl gray you know what the clubs and the meetings and the podcast you know all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy the orb this year opening for five-year mission is del rock del rock del rock they'll rock your world bajoran style the ready room I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard and he's like, hey, what up? To the journey! My question is, what would Janeway have in place of banana pancakes? Because that's Bolana's thing. Would Janeway's be coffee ice cream? I was just about to say coffee ice cream. (laughs) my, My lips... My lips were forming the syllables to say coffee <laughs> ice cream. Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. And I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that Future Guy had actually played 
an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. I know that both of us will come out of it okay, but <laughs> since Matthew is not used to sparring with either of us, I'm afraid that he's going to be a bloody mess lying on the floor of the 602 Club. The 602 Club. They're playing God with fossilized mosquitoes. As if, you know, they have the right to do this, like they have the knowledge to do this, um, you know, that they can control any kind of species that they have absolutely no knowledge of. Literary Treks. Yeah, this happened to her at 22 when she was on Ryan's Hope, and it was at its peak. There, it had a big following, and it was not your yeah, typical did. run-of-the-mill soap opera either. I mean, Claire Labine, the writer of the show, was doing some very different things. Axonar the official podcast. I tried different action figures. Uh, I tried Black Widow. I tried the Black Widow from uh, uh, the, the Hot Toys Black Widow. Too small. It wouldn't work with really? the other action. Yeah, it didn't, didn't photograph quite. But, but tell everyone why you're photographing action figures. And introducing the newest addition to the network, Women at Warp. <laughs> Also, you think Kirk would be happier about kissing himself, right? <laughs> it was his lifelong ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I more feel like it's his lifelong ambition to kiss Spock, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You'll find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 files from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Um... Saying and beyond reminds me that, uh, speaking of other work by Star Trek creators, uh, this Sunday, HBO, True Detective Season 2 starts, directed by the one and only Justin Lin. So uh, if you want to take a look at the, the last thing that, that Lin has done before embarking on uh, the Undiscovered Country, or whatever you want to call it, Star Trek, um, check out True Detective Sunday night. There you go. All right. All right. Um, uh, One way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, uh, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. You can also leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. On Twitter, you can find the network at trek.fm. On Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm, where you'll also find the Babel Conference, uh, which is our listener um, uh, forum. You just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on our menu bar. John, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me on the internet uh, on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, or you can find me on a weekly show called Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig that drops every Thursday on iTunes and Podbean and blah, blah, blah. You can find me on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, or you can find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing Commentary Track Stars Off Topic and commentary track star babies and you can also find me on twitter at mumbles 3k and you can also find all of us on twitter at comtrackstars or you can email all of us at comtrackstars at gmail.com before we go we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary track stars and all of our shows to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, what book do you have for us this week? 
Well, uh, seeing as how we were talking about time travel, uh, there is an audio version of A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking, narrated by Michael Jackson. Not that Michael Jackson. A different oh. Michael Jackson. I was yeah, that would, that, would have been, that would have been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just in case anybody is unfamiliar with the book, it is uh, the landmark book for those who prefer words to equations. This is the story of the ultimate quest for knowledge, not Cybox, the ongoing search for the secrets at the heart of time and space. Its author, Stephen W. Hawking, is arguably the greatest mind since Einstein and had guest spots on The Next Generation. Yes, he did. From the vantage point of the wheelchair where he has spent the last 20 years trapped by Lou Gehrig's disease, Professor Hawking has transformed our view of the universe. And ain't that true? Yeah, and you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. So while I was sitting in a comfy, air-conditioned uh, hotel lobby uh, this weekend, listening to George Takei talk about his porno movies, uh, <laughs> you were, uh, um, I don't know what the heck you were doing. Uh, tough Mudder. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I earned my fourth headband um, uh, as, as a Tough Mudder um, and uh, w- went with the, uh, the team that actually Craig, who, who's on Words with Nerds with me and, uh, and some other people, we had a team called Guardians of the Headband. Mm. And uh, mm. we went and we climbed things and we ran things and we jumped in dirty mud and got shocked by electricity and swung on a swing to try to ring a bell before falling 15 feet into a big pool of water and all of that type of stuff. It was a delightful time. Sounds almost as much fun as uh, going to a creation convention. Hey, listen, man. The way I figure it, I'm now, uh, you know, if the aliens show up, if Invasion America happens, I am ready to go on their spaceship and go with them because I've, <laughs> I've trained for their battle forces. Okay. I don't see how that makes any sense at all, but good. We'll send you. <laughs> great. Great. I'll be the emissary of Invasion America. Okay. Cool. Well, well, hopefully you take it a bit easier this weekend. Um, but yeah. And, 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 uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you can top that, but <laughs> but don't try. Don't try. Take it easy. Take Do it easy. another one eventually. Yeah, yeah. Just give it give it some time. Give it some time. It's, it's scary. It's scary. When you start talking about electricity, I'm like, what? Oh, what? It's, it's thrilling. There, there is there there is video of me getting uh, getting shocked uh, and knocked onto my face because it's it, it's pretty <laughs> by can, electricity getting knocked onto your face by well, electricity. Your, your your muscles contract. Yes, you, you take a you take a nice <laughs> shot and you uh, and you go down. It's oh it's actually God. it's really it's really well timed because it's right before the finish line. So you're really <laughs> exhausted and you're really energetic. Like you are moving fast. <laughs> pretty great. it's like oh. dr frankenstein it's crazy it's absolutely crazy but i'm glad i'm glad you had fun Thank and you. i'm glad you didn't die so and i'm glad that you found out about george decay's skin flick <laughs> everybody wins <laughs> <laughs> all right well um that's about it for this week and next week we will be back to discuss tomorrowland <laughs> <laughs>